derived from the Paul's letter to the church in Rome, the 12th chapter. The 12th chapter of, Rome's, of Romans is my favorite, no, it's my second favorite chapter in the book of Romans. Chapter 8 is my first favorite. Chapter 12 is when he's turned a corner and he's gone from talking about theology and soteriology, which is the study of salvation, to the practice of putting it, the rubber on the road, how to live out what Jesus Christ did for us when he took away our sin and justified us by the power of his blood and, and rose again from the grave. And uh, Paul makes it very clear that we are saved by the mercy and by the grace of God. There's not a one of us that can earn our salvation. You cannot be good enough. But he paid the full price. And then, in light of that, he starts the 12th chapter with these words. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world or the thinking of the world without God, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, and acceptable, and perfect. Thus far we had heard the Lord say to us through Paul, in light of God's mercy, the only logical thing for us to do is submit our life to Him, commit our life. And here's the deal. To be a Christ follower is a is total commitment to him. It's more than just saying the sinner's prayer. It's total commitment. It is surrendering my life, my body, my mind, all of me, as a living sacrifice to live for Jesus by the power of Jesus who lives in me. The major thing we talked about two weeks ago was based on what Paul says in verse 2. And to... To make the point, I quoted one of uh, Zig Ziglar's famous sayings. It didn't make the top ten, but it's a pretty famous one. And that was that we need to eliminate stinking thinking. We need to eliminate stinking thinking. And he said we need a checkup from the head, the neck up. And that's what Paul is telling us when he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We began talking about some areas in our thinking that we need to bring into alignment with what God says about us now, who we are in Christ, and Christ in us. So I want to read again verses 3, 4, and 5. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has signed. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. We unpacked these verses two weeks ago, and if you weren't here, you can look it up on YouTube and watch this, or you can look at the web, and I think there's an audio copy of it on the, on the web, and you can download that and whatever you want to, and catch up. 
But the first thing we said is we need, we need to learn how to think rightly about ourselves. To think rightly about ourselves. And in a nutshell, we talked about the fact that we never lose sight of the fact that we all came into the body of Christ, the family of God, the same way. Through faith in the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the grace of God, there is not anyone who God just chose you because you are pretty or rich or poor. We all come to the foot of the cross and by the grace of God enter into the family of God as he forgives us of our sin when we confess our sin before him. So here's the deal. You better not ever get really cocky about your spiritual status, who you are in the kingdom of God, because we all came in as sinners. I love the fact that the Apostle Paul, one of the most holy men to live in terms of his commitment to Jesus Christ, he ends his life telling Timothy, this is a faithful saying, worthy of acceptance by all. Jesus Christ died to save sinners, and he said, of whom I am chief. He understood we come in by the grace of God. We need to think rightly about ourselves. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. You are who you are and what you are by the grace of God. I won't preach that again. Number two, we must think rightly about the body of Christ. We must think rightly about the church. Verse 4 said, As in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. To be a Christ follower is to be committed to the body of Christ. The people... Not the building, but the people, the church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, totally committed. We are members of one another, he said, just like your hand and your feet and all of that, members of one body. We are members of one body, and we need one another. Turn to somebody and say, I need you. And you need me. And just in case you don't believe me, I'm going to run you through the New Testament and just give you a few of the places where we are commanded to do something with one another. And I wrote them all in your, I've put all the references in your, but if I would have put them all on the paper, you would have had a, a notebook. So follow along as we look at the screen this morning. John 13, 34, the first one. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Romans 12, 10 says this. Love one another with brotherly affliction. Outdo one another in showing honor. Commanded to love one another. He repeats that command. I can't tell you how many times we're commanded in the New Testament to love one another. I didn't put all those scriptures in here because we don't have all day. 
But love one another, honor one another. Verse 16 of Romans 12 says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. 15.7, Romans 15.7 says, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Some other translations say, Accept one another as Christ has accepted you for the glory of God. Romans 16.16 Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now there's places in Europe I can tell you for sure in Ukraine they take that scripture literally. I found out We were in a preaching in a, in a church, and a preacher I was with said, everybody just turn around and greet one another before you go home. And suddenly this guy who was quite a bit older than me smacked me right on the lips with his lips. And <laughs> the men would kiss the men, and the women would kiss the women with a holy kiss because they understood we are brothers. It was a little more than I... And when the other preacher was standing on the platform where there was nobody else but him, and he's laughing, tears running down his eyes as he watched my face. <laughs> but to greet one another, there's this, this with a holy kiss, this, to greet one another with this affection, love one another, 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree with one another, so there be no divisions among you, that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. 2 Corinthians 13.11 says, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Galatians 5.13 For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Ephesians 4.2 With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. How? As God in Christ forgave you. You say, they don't deserve my forgiveness. Did you deserve God's forgiveness? The answer is no. Forgive one another. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted toward one another. Ephesians 5.19 Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. You're supposed to greet one another singing songs and psalms, praising the Lord. Ephesians 5.21 
Uh, we'll just black this one out. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, go find another church. Bearing with one another, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another, build one another up, just as you are doing. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. 1 Peter 4, 9 says, showing hospitality to one another without Grumbling. 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. That's only 18 of the verses in the New Testament that talk about the one another, what we, how we treat one another. And I could share with you more verses than I can count that repeat those same kind of things. And I know that I'm preaching to the choir because you're here today. And at some level you understand that Jesus saved and called us to be part of a living church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. It's our love for one another, our fellowship for one another, our doing life together that proves Jesus is alive. By this all men shall know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. So turn to somebody and say, you need me, whether you want me or not, you need me. So to get rid of our stinking thinking, we need to think right about ourselves. I'm saved by the grace of God. I live by the grace of God. It's all by the grace of God. We need to think right about the body of Christ. I need you. You need me. Thirdly, we need to think rightly about our gifts, our spiritual gifts. We need to think rightly about our gifts. Verse 6 says this, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. Verse 7 says this. Click the next, there we go. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching. And verse 8 goes on to say, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. To think about our gifts rightly, that we need to know two or three things. Letter A, we all have gifts. 
God has given to everyone who has been born again at least one spiritual gift. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life and resides there, He comes with a spiritual gift that empowers you to fulfill your place in the body of Christ so that the body of Christ does what God intended for it to do in terms of being light and salt and making a difference in the world. A spiritual gift is something beyond your natural talents. It's something that you do by the power of the Holy Spirit. He empowers you to do what you could not have done in your own. A spiritual gift. There are seven of them listed here, but letter B, this is not an exhaustive list by any means. This is not all the spiritual gifts there are. If you read in 1 Corinthians 12, 14, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, people come up with anywhere between 19 and 22 different spiritual gifts that are mentioned in those passages of Scripture, depending on how they put the commas. If you go back into the Old Testament, where God told Moses to build the tabernacle, he named some specific men that he had given gifts to, to work with silver, to work with gold, to work with wood, to work with tapestry. And he called them to do that, to put the tabernacle together. God, so I'm not sure that we can put a, that a final thing on the gift. It's when God has a purpose for you, that you cannot do in your own talent. He gives you a spiritual gift to accomplish His purpose through you. Let us see. We have gifts. Use them. We have gifts. He says, let us use them. Let us use them. Now, I realize that God's not created in our image. We're created in His. But we need to be careful about attributing to God some of our human characteristics. But I know how I feel when I buy someone a gift that I believe will be beneficial for them and they never use it. When it comes to spiritual gifts, when they're not put into use as Christ intended for them, the church is not working to its full potential. We are not being everything that God called us and created us to be if we're not using the spiritual gifts he's given them. Learn what they are. You say, how do I know what my spiritual gift is? Well, you'll come up with some longings inside of you to do some certain things. You'll see some needs that probably you did not see before. And as you begin to do those things, there'll come this Awareness, wow, this is something I really enjoy doing. People will begin to affirm what they see you doing. And you'll know that it didn't come from you in the first place. This had to come from somewhere else. A spiritual gift. And before I go on, I want to be careful. I wanna, I'm going to put a, a warning here. I don't believe it's healthy for the church to create pigeonhole thinking about this is my gift, this is your gift, this is his gift. I'm a prophet, 
so I'm not going to be able to teach anybody. I'm a teacher. I'm not going to be able to serve anybody. Um, don't forget that the Bible not only calls us a body, but it also calls us a family. A family. Now, I don't know how it is in your family. My spiritual gift is not taking out the garbage. That's why we have justice. You know, I read an article just a couple of weeks ago that was in one of the inserts in the bulletin, uh, folks on the family thing, and, and uh, Gary Smalley was talking about one day he went to his wife and says, what is the household chore that you hate to do the most? And she said, the dishes. And it just happened to be the one he hated the most as well. But he said, he said to her, I'll take care of the dishes from now on because he loved her, not his gifting, but because there was a need and he loved her. So your spiritual gift might not be cleaning toilets, but if the toilets need to be clean, because we're the family, we take care of it. I, I observe who understands that they're part of the family when people walk through the parking lot and they see garbage and pick, pick, reach down and pick it up. Because we're part of the family. So we do things that need to be done, but we also have a spiritual gift. I know I'm plucking on the string a long time, but I, I want to help us to understand that we do things as a family, and then we also have specific things that we do within the family because God has gifted us. And we take on those responsibilities. And if you don't understand that, we can talk about it later. We need each other. We need each other. So I just want to quickly run through these seven. He talks about, number one, the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy. If prophesy, if that's your gift, do it in proportion to your faith. This is one of the gifts that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14, and where he talks about you need to, to desire and, and spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. Verse 39 um, of chapter 14 ends with the admonition to earnestly desire to prophesy. The Lord on occasion uses the gift of prophecy to foretell something that's going to happen in the future. The Old Testament is full of that. There's places in the New Testament where you have prophecies of things in the future. But as you read what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, the gift of prophecy is more about proclaiming the revealed Word of God. It's about proclaiming, it's foretelling, not foretelling. That's where it is used the most in the body of Christ. And, and Paul says, if you have the gift of prophecy and you use the gift of prophecy, you know it's the gift of prophecy if it does one of these three things, or two or, or all three of these things. Number one, God gives the gift of prophecy to strengthen 
other believers, to strengthen them in their faith, to strengthen them in their walk with Jesus, to just come alongside and, number two, encourage them. It should be a word of encouragement. A word of encouragement. Number three, he said, and this is, you find this in 1 Corinthians 14, 3, the person who prophesies, it should be a word that brings comfort. It should strengthen, it should encourage, and it should comfort. That's what the gift of prophecy is all about. The gift of prophecy is always a confirmation of what God has said in His Word. Let me repeat that. When somebody comes to you and says, The Lord told me to tell you this. The first thing you need to do is screen what they just said to you through the Word of God. Because God does not contradict Himself. There's a whole lot of people who will try to manipulate your life with God said. And occasionally people have come to me and said, God told me to do this, and I say to them, God didn't tell you to do that because the Scripture is very clear that you're not supposed to do that. It, the gift of prophecy will always coincide with what God has written in His Word. The Scripture says if somebody gives a word of prophecy, you're to judge that prophecy, weigh that prophecy against the Word of God, not judge that prophet. Although if we went back to the Old Testament and somebody gave a false prophecy in the Old Testament, you know what they told them to do with them? To shut them up forever by executing them. I wonder how many prophets would have died if we did that in the last election. <laughs> Sorry, that slipped out. If God gives to you that, that the word of prophecy, it's to, to shine a light on the revealed word of God, to help somebody understand this is what God is saying to you at this moment from his word, and this ought to strengthen you, it ought to encourage you, it ought to bring comfort to you as you're going through whatever you're going through or whatever's coming down the pike. The second gift he talks about is the gift of serving. The gift of serving. He said, you know, if the gift is serving, then you, you need to give diligence in your serving. This could be the same gift that Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, the gift of helps or helping. I am so grateful for the people in this room and in this congregation, this family, who operate in the gift of serving on an ongoing basis. There are people who come here Sometimes, some Sundays before the sun rises because it's winter time, and they take care of getting this room all set up, stuff the bulletin for you, get the mics all, all of those things taking place. People serve. Yesterday, there was a crew of people that came to serve at the, at the funeral service, the memorial service, and on and on it goes. Teachers who teach classes, people who drive buses, people who come and clean the building. There's lots more room for people to come and serve in lots of ways. The church couldn't function without the gift of service. We appreciate it. 
And that word service is, um, is the same word that they got the word deacon from. And, you know, over church history, people have lost sight of what deacons are all about. Deacons were chosen to serve the widows to make sure that they got the fish boxes that were given out in that particular time. And uh, some of those deacons, while they were serving, they preached the gospel. But along history, some of those deacon people got thinking that deacons were people who ran a church. That's not the case. The deacons are people who serve the people and serve the body of Christ. And the fact of the matter is, even if you don't have the gift of service, we're all to be servants. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. The greatest in the kingdom of God is the servant, the servant of all. Number three, the gift of teaching. The one who teaches, give diligence to his teaching. Now to reiterate what I said a few moments ago about a gift that the Lord and empowers you to do it. It's my belief that what I do here on Sunday mornings, Wednesday mornings, Wednesday evening, is a combination of prophecy and teaching. There will be times when I will say to you, though I'm not a prophet, that's not my office, I will say to you that I believe the Lord has given me a word for somebody here today. You've heard me say that. And when I say that, I am 99.9% sure that God has inspired me to say those words. But that doesn't make me a prophet. I believe that God called me to be a teacher. Um, and Paul says, if you're given that gift, to, to do it with excellence. Do ever be learning. Ever be learning. If I ever quit learning, we're in deep trouble. If you're a teacher, if you ever quit learning... You're in trouble. Um, lead to learn things. You lead to work on the skill of communicating with people. And let me share why I believe it's my spiritual gift. Um, I said a spiritual gift is something the Holy Spirit enables you to do that you could not do in your own power. Um, and that people will affirm it. And I know that there's two or three people here who've told me they've learned things from me preaching. So that makes me a teacher. Just if two or three of you learn something. Um, but the reality is, I was the last person on the earth that I would have ever chosen to stand in this position to be a teacher. Um, the first time I was asked to participate in a youth service by leading some music or singing a song, I don't remember exactly what it was, when the church building was this room over here and the platform was out about here. And uh, I probably was just 11 or 12 years old. But they asked me to be part of the service because I could sing. And so um, they said, whoever was leading the service, and I remember who it was, but I'll just leave it at that. In fact, it was Lauren's sister, I believe. Uh, Karen was leading this youth service that night, and she said, uh, come on up. And so there was a piano about where Gail's sitting, an upright piano, you know, one of those that was about four feet tall. And when I got behind that piano, I sat down on the platform, and I shook my head. And that's where I stayed until the service was over. 
because I was terrified to get up in front of a dozen people and be in the front. Um, in high school, I believe it was my senior year, in English class or whatever it was, we were assigned that you have to give a speech so many minutes, and it was about any topic that you wanted, but it was why you believed something or something to that effect. And uh, I prepared the speech, wrote it all out, had it all ready to go. The teacher had made this statement. Uh, she was going through the class, and, and because there were several minutes that we were in this talk, we weren't all going to do it the same day. So you really didn't know when your day was. You were just supposed to be ready. And if you were not ready, she said, that's okay. You can do it the next day, but I'm going to knock you down one grade, one letter grade. We got letter grades in those days, and they meant something in those days. But um, when she called my name the first time, I had the speech in front of me. She said, are you ready, Bob? And I said, no, I'm not quite ready. Now, you have to understand that my motivation for school was to get the highest grades possible, because my dad was always telling me how his grades were, and there was this kind of competition thing between us. But anyway, uh, so A's were of absolute necessity on my report card, in my thinking. But because of fear to stand in front of people, I chose to take a B. Well, I hoped I'd get a B. The next day, I gave my report, or my speech, and uh, it went over very well, no critique. I got a solid B, which would have been a solid A had I not been. I said all of that to say I'm here today because I believe the Holy Spirit. When I gave my heart to Jesus as a young boy, there was a spiritual gift imparted to me that became my job to work with the Lord to develop that gift and to be where I'm at today. And the gift is not, it, God gives it, and then you have to develop it with the help of the Holy Spirit as you learn to submit yourself to it. Now that's a long, but I want you to understand spiritual gifts. We all have been given one. The next one is the gift of exhortation. The gift of exhortation. One who exhorts. Exhortation means this. Cause someone to be encouraged or consoled. That's why the newer trans, or some of the other translations of paraphrases or the dynamic translations like the NIV, they don't words, use that word exhortation. They use the word encouragement. Encouragement. This is a powerful and much needed gift. Exhortation, encouragements. There's some preachers, my friend Daryl, he, he believes that's his number one gift. When he preached, it was to encourage people, to comfort people, to make them feel solid and strength and that they can do anything in the name of Jesus. But that's not the only place where the encouragement is used here in the front. In fact, encouragement is more often used just as you bump into people on a day-to-day -day basis. Behind the scenes. Acts 4, 
36, we're introduced to a man named Joseph. Joseph, who was also called by the apostles, they gave him a nickname, Barney, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. Barnabas, as you read his story in the book of Acts, he was an encourager. When Paul got saved and he was preaching in synagogues and he finally makes his way back to Jerusalem, all the other apostles, the original apostles, they are afraid to meet this man because they think he's coming with, with impure motives to trap them and to arrest them. It's Barnabas who comes alongside of Paul and says, Hey, you need to know what happened to this man. And, and he's, he's the real deal. And he encouraged the people to accept Paul. He encouraged Paul to, to go ahead and, and join on together with these apostles in Jerusalem. You remember the story of Paul and Barnabas, and they're going out, and John Mark goes with them. John Mark flakes out and goes home. And then Paul and Barnabas say, we're needing to go a second trip. And Barnabas says, I need to take John Mark. And Paul says, no way. So they split their ways. But you know what? Because Barnabas continued to encourage the young man who had got homesick or whatever it was, later on in life, Paul says, send me John Mark. He's become very profitable to me in the ministry. All because of a man's encouragement. Encouragement. If you have the gift of encouragement, we all need to work on encouraging one another. But if you have the gift of encouragement, use it. Use it. Put it into practice. The gift of giving. The one who contributes. Generosity, it says. The gift of giving. That word generosity, actually, several scholars say, could be its simplicity. It's simplicity. God has blessed some folks to be able to accumulate resources with the express purpose of being able to bless others. And here's the thing. When you bless others, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. As you plant, you reap. And you always reap more than you plant. You can't outgive God. And so when, but some people, God just really gave you the heart for giving. He says, do it with simplicity. In other words, don't do it to be seen. Do it simply for the glory of God and the love of Jesus Christ. Don't do it like a, a man who was in one, one pastor's church who once a year he would give an offering. And he made sure that he found the pastor to hand him the offering. And he would give him a $10 bill and said, this is for the church. Another guy stood up in a meeting and said, I would like to give $100 anonymously. <laughs> Number six, the gift of leadership. The gift of leadership, the one who leads with zeal or diligence. You can read a boatload of books on leadership. And if you're in a leadership position, you should read a good number of those books. And I can give you the, the name of an author that will give you some great books to read on leadership. You need to develop that gift that God has given you. But there's, a, there's one aspect of leadership that I believe that we need to keep in mind when we are leading in the body of Christ. In fact, I think even if you're a leader at your job, you need to keep this in mind. That one day, you're going to give an account 
to the leader of all leaders for your heart for leadership and the way that you led people and the way that you serve people. If you're not a servant leader, you're not a biblical leader. I'll let you chew on that if you're a leader. Jesus came and he said, I did not come to be served. I came to serve. Be a servant leader. That wasn't in my notes, so we'll just take it for what it's worth. Number seven, the gift of mercy. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. The gift of mercy can be manifested in many ways. It can be aiding the poor, helping special needs folks, ministering to the ill and the afflicted. When I think about the gift of mercy from the biblical point of view, I think about the four guys who brought their friend who was paralyzed on a stretcher. They bring him to Jesus. When they get to the house, the crowd's too big, they can't get in. One of them had the gift of mercy. Another one must have had the gift of whatever, creativity. He said, let's go up on the roof and we'll just open up the roof and we'll drop him down. Whoever owned the house had the gift of mercy because we don't read anything about him suing the people who opened up the roof. The gift of mercy. Being merciful to others because we have received mercy. There's all kinds of ministries of mercy. The fish distribution, ministering to individuals in need, the community house on Broadway, Caring Pregnancy Center, uh, the Family Promise, Pro Callis County Chaplains, on and on it goes as we reach out to people in need. Paul said to do it with cheerfulness. And this, the word is almost hilarity. He doesn't really want to, to do it, but to have that Thank Jesus I get to serve people. I get to show mercy to people. Someone said this, and I don't know who it was. If you come with sympathy to sorrow, bring God's sunlight in your face. If you come with sympathy to sorrow, bring God's sunlight in your face. Those are only seven of the gifts that are listed in the Bible that God gives to members of the body for the edification of the body. No matter how many gifts we find listed, they can be divided into two groups. Peter put it this way in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The gifts are divided into two divisions, speaking and serving. Vocal gifts and speaking. For the gifts that we talked about in Romans 12, they involved speaking. The other three involved serving. We are gifted to do at least one or the other, if not both. And it's God's plan that we do at least one. That we have gifts of speaking or that we have gifts of service and we put them into action. 
so God will be glorified, so the church will be strengthened, so that brothers and sisters in Christ will be edified. We need each other. F.B. Meyer, a man of God from a generation or two before a different era of time, in his particular time, he, he wrote these words, and I put them in your notes word for word, and I'll read it from on the screen as well. It is urgently needful that the Christian people of our charge should come to understand that they are not a company of invalids to be wheeled about, fed by hand, cosseted, nursed, and comforted, the ministry being the head physician, or the minister being the head physician and nurse, but a garrison in an enemy's country, every soul which should have some post of duty, at which he should be prepared to make any sacrifice rather than quitting. He said we ought to see ourselves as a mighty army of God in the enemy's field. And when you go to war, you want every soldier to be doing their part. What they have been trained to do, and what God has placed in you as we go into the darkness of this world. In case you haven't noticed, it's really dark. But we've been given the light. We've been given the power of the Holy Spirit to make a difference. Oh, that we would see ourselves as God's army on the earth working in cooperation with the host of heaven against the powers of hell here on this. We ought to be on the offense and not the defense. For those of you who have been raised in church as long as I've been raised in church, there's a couple songs from our history. We should not be a church that's singing, Hold the fort, for I am coming. We should be a church that's singing on word Christian soldiers marching onto war. If there's one thing the COVID pandemic has revealed, the church needs to be the church. The world needs Jesus. He's in us. We're in Him. We have the only hope, the only hope for getting out of this place alive is our faith in Jesus Christ. Title I put on the message, Who Am I? Or Who I Am? Who I Am begs the question, Who am I? Who are you? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you embraced Him by faith as your Lord and Savior, the one who died for your sins and God raised from the dead? If you have, well, if you haven't, you need to do that today. And once you've done that, you need to start every day with this kind of thinking. Look yourself in the mirror and say, I am a child of God. I am a child of the living God. 
Jesus died, resurrected, came into my heart and gave to me the power to become a child of God. Not only am I a child of God, but I'm a vital member of the body of Christ. I'm a vital member. By that, we are all members of one another. I don't know about you, but I don't have any body parts on this body that I want to give up. The same is true of you being connected with me as part of the body of Christ. You're a vital member. Some members are more visible than others. Their gifts are more visible. But everyone is vital to the life of the church. I'm a gifted member of the body of Christ. God gave me a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift so that I could contribute to the life of my church family that He has placed me with Him. I'm a gifted member. And if you don't know what your gift is, ask Him to open your eyes and open your understanding. I remind you, if you see a need, somebody ought to take care of that. That's a good chance. That's where He's leaded you and the gift He's given to you. Tell yourself every day, I can use that gift today in my circle of influence. I can use that gift, whatever it might be, wherever you, you can encourage people wherever you go, you can show mercy wherever you can go, you can serve people wherever you can go, you can even prophesy to people and they don't even know you're prophesying to them. When you just speak what the Lord lays on your heart to somebody, a word of encouragement, a word of enlightenment. To do it all to the glory of Jesus Christ. I am a member of the church that Jesus is building. And he promised the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I belong to that family. I belong to that church. Remind yourself every day, I'm on the winning team. And I'm going to commit myself totally to Jesus. Talking about right thinking. I want to stand, join you, have you stand if you would. We're going to sing. Vicky's song, but she's not here. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in all his love for me. All his love for me. Whom the sun set free, always free indeed. I'm a child of God, yes I am. Free at last, He has ransomed me, His grace runs me. While I was a slave to sin, He 